over the last four, six months, whatever, to get us in this place. We've seen unthinkable, unimaginable, unexpected uh, just generosity and support through the Lord's people uh, that have come alongside of us in the hopes that we would be effective in ministry in this place. It's what it's been the last six months or so. I want to be clear that we have hope for this place. Yes, in the middle of winter. In Syracuse, New York, we have hope for this place. We have hope for the men, the women, and the children who are in this place. We're trusting God together to move mightily into the future as we've seen him work already, nurturing marriages, families, businesses, caring for the poor and the under-resourced in this place. But understand this. When I say all of those things, when I say the phrase, this place, I'm not talking about this building. I'm not talking about the physical structure that we have put so much time and effort and money into making happen and providing a place for us to worship God and to hear his word. I'm not, I'm not talking about the physical structure when I talk about this place. I'm talking about this neighborhood. I'm talking about the people that live on these streets. I'm talking about uh, the families and the children that live along Chestnut. And as maybe you've had opportunity over the last few months to drive through this residential area. When I say this place, I'm talking about the people that live in those capes, who live in those ranches, those families. So when I talk about our hopes and our dreams and our expectations for this place, I'm not talking about the building. I'm talking about the lives of people that live proximate to this building in which we now worship Jesus. I'm talking about the staff and the students of Allen Road Elementary, which, depending on the angle out the window, you may be able to see from outside this physical place. And I'm talking about the teenagers that I've often seen walking down Josephine, Belmore, which is right behind me, to North Syracuse Junior High School. We have hope for this place. And we're not talking about the building. So today, we're going to start a series to kick off our time here in this, in this building, in this place. Uh, we're going to kick off a series called Our Hope. Because again, we have hope in Jesus Christ for this place. You're going to hear over the next three weeks some, some biblical uh, examples, a, 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 a biblical vision for this community, these neighborhoods. You're going to hear from uh, three of our elders in the next three weeks. You're going to hear personal hopes too. 
as many of us have particular areas and passions that we get really excited about. And so we're going to share this series together. To start this, I'm inviting you uh, to join with me in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 17. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to follow along with me in your Bible or your smartphone. I guess that'll be fine this morning, given 2015. But if you don't have access to the Bible in either of those forms, uh, first of all, we would love to give you one. So before you leave today, uh, we'd love to place a free Bible in your hand. But even now, uh, know that uh, these words will be posted up on the screen. So let's look at these verses here uh, in the 10th chapter of the book of Romans. Listen to what Paul says to the Romans, starting in verse 13. He says these words, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This passage starts out with an astounding claim. The passage begins by saying, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's an astounding claim. It almost hits us like a ton of bricks and, and puts us back on our heels, starting right away with an astounding claim. And we see from this statement the, the inclusive nature of what we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone, emphasis, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What an astounding claim. What a wonderful promise that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's very inclusive, our gospel. Very inclusive of everyone who calls on the name of Jesus. So no matter who you are, no matter what color your skin no matter what economic status you may live in, rich or poor, no matter how tall you are, no matter how slender or not you are, guess what? You're included. No matter what sins you have committed, no matter how grotesque and awful you may think those sins are, and they are, that no matter what sin it is, everyone, who calls on the name of the Lord, what? Will be saved. It's an inclusive 
conviction. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And yet we also see the exclusive nature of this, don't we? That we're not universalists. We don't believe that everyone is saved. Period. End of story. There is prerequisite. There is condition. Everyone who what? Described as those who are calling on the name of Jesus for salvation. Those are the ones who are saved. It's very inclusive and yet very exclusive. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It's very astounding claim. Because everyone is included in it. And yet, it is also astounding because of the manner, the way, the how salvation happens. You see, we live in a day and age where most people take a religious view of things. And what I mean by that is, if we do a couple of things, check off a few boxes... In relationship to God. If we just uh, check off three or four things. Like if we go to church. If we take communion. If we pray a certain prayer. If we give a certain amount in the bucket when it passes. Then we'll be saved. God will accept us. Or maybe we make a list of knots. Right? If I, or, or don't. If, if I don't do that, if I don't kill somebody, right? If I don't um, rob a bank, then God will accept me. He'll save me. Everything will be a-okay. And as long as 51% of the time I'm halfway decent, or at least 51% of the time I'm not that guy, who did those things, then I'll be saved. That when all is said and done and I stand before the living God and he takes an account, an inventory of my life, he'll see that I did these three, four, five things and I did not do those other things and relative to other people, I'm pretty good. I pay my taxes. I do what I'm supposed to do then we will, through our best attempts, 51% of the time, will have done what was necessary to not be punished for the things we did wrong or the sins we've committed. And so many of us have fallen into the trap that religion saves. That uh, as long as we're decent, we'll be a-okay in relationship to God. But that is not what the scriptures teach. That is not the gospel whatsoever. And by the way, that is very good news. Because we don't compare ourselves to one another and develop our sense of righteousness and holiness and goodness based on not being that guy or that girl. But we are measured up against the one who is holy, the one who is perfect, the one who has made us and is righteous. That the standard of righteousness is God himself. And he's 100% of the time complete and utterly perfect. And so 
religion will not save. Our attempt to make God happy by doing a couple of things that aren't so bad will fall so short. And so we see the astounding nature of salvation. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. That's it. That's all that is required to be saved. Calling on the name of Jesus for salvation. That's it. You say, but yeah, but what do I got to do? Nothing. Jesus did it all. And so we see this astounding claim. Everyone, no matter who we are, no matter what sins we've committed, no matter how awful they are, and they are indeed awful, deserving of God's righteous wrath. That because of who Jesus is, because of what Jesus has done, his perfect sacrifice on our behalf, that all we have to do is call on his name and we will be saved. Just call on his name. We call on those we trust, don't we? And we call on those we trust who are capable of doing something that in and of ourselves we are incapable of doing. I think of that in reference to my children, that my name becomes a swear word a lot. You know, it feels like it. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And you're just like, ah. You know? Children are so incapable of pretty much everything. And even when they're capable of something, they act like they're incapable of everything so that you do it for them, right? So we call on the name of someone we trust in, we believe in. I can't do something, daddy, so I need your help. Come to my aid. Rescue me from tying my shoes and putting on my jacket. You see, to call on the name of Jesus requires a humility. It says, all my best attempts are inadequate and insufficient. I can't save myself from sin, no matter how hard I try. So if you're in a place this morning where you've tried over and over again to redeem yourself, as some politicians and athletes might say, atone for your sins, today hear this, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just call on his name. Call on his name. We've been working on I need you prayers with our children. It is, we're trying to teach our children how to pray in response to life. And we're trying to keep it simple. You know, I'd love for them to maybe read out of the, the book of common prayer at the age of six. But realistically, we'll just start with I need you, Jesus. <laughs> And so we're trying to teach them in the, in the midst of chaos to say, okay, we need to pause for a moment and we need to cry out for God's help. So let's all pray together. Ready? I'll start. I need you, Jesus, because, and they end the sentence. They're in a place of reliance and dependence. And I wonder if there's somebody here today, and I believe there are many people in this community that salvation is one prayer away 
in response to the gospel that simply says, Jesus, because of my sin and because of your sacrifice, I need you. Maybe that's you today. I don't know. But don't leave today. If you have not called out for Jesus, don't leave today without taking that opportunity to call on the name of Jesus. That is our hope for this place. Our hope for this place is that people will call on the name of Jesus for salvation. That is our central hope as we start this today. That Jesus will be glorified as people call on his name to be saved. That's why we're in this building. That's why we're in this community. Because God wants people to call on his son's name for salvation. He wants to save us from our greatest enemy sin. But the question becomes, how? How will one call on the name of the Lord and be saved? The text goes on to tell us, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? Simply put, there's a prerequisite to calling. And it's hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of Christ. Hearing is necessary. To call on the name of Jesus, there must be a hearing of, an explanation of, a revelation of that name of Jesus. If you do not hear the name of Jesus, you will not call on the name of Jesus, will you? And again, this religious context, this Christian nation, we would think that everyone has heard about the name of Jesus. We would drive these streets and assume that everyone had already heard about the good news that Jesus' sacrifice is enough to deal with our sin. But I'm sure that many of you are experiencing the fact that that is so not true. They are hearing many things in the world, but they are not hearing or maybe have not heard the truth about Jesus and the salvation that he alone offers to the world. I'll never forget a recent experience. Actually, around the same time, I was meeting with, with two people who had not given or, or called on the name of Jesus yet. And I just made a, a simple comment in explaining Jesus to them. I made a simple comment that we say all the time in the church, that we have grown uh, numb to often in the church, a very simple statement to two grown men who were dudes. Like, you know, not skinny jean guy, like dudes, right? Like guys that you're like, I don't want to get in a fight with that guy, okay? So two dudes that you don't want to mess with, just simply looking at them and saying, I want you to know that in Jesus Christ, God loves you. And you would think that he had never heard that before. And you know what? That's exactly what they told me. As tears ran down the cheek of a grown dude, 
He said, no one ever told me that God loved me. Just that simple statement. And again, that's not the fullness of the gospel. There's so much to be shared. But I don't want any one of us assuming that everyone has heard this gospel. They probably have not. They've heard a different gospel. They've heard something else about the person of Jesus and about God. And so in order for them to call, guess what? They need to hear about Jesus. How are they to believe in whom they have never heard? People will not believe in a gospel or a Jesus that they have never heard. And so the question becomes for us, how will they hear? And the answer is laid out for us quite simply. How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to hear if someone is not proclaiming? Right? Evangelization is what we have a hope for in this community. But evangelization will not happen in this community or in the, in the lives of people that we come into contact every single day. If there is no proclamation, there will be no evangelization. How are they to hear if someone is not preaching? The word here is to herald. You say, well, that's weird. Didn't the Herald Journal shut down recently? What do you mean the her Herald? What are you talking about? Well, we don't have this really anymore today, but back in the day when there were kings and such, uh, there were heralds. Those who would serve the king by taking his authority, representing the king, going out into the midst of the people, standing on something most likely, like a, a tree stump or, or a wall or something, and they would go, hear ye, hear ye. They would proclaim, based on the authority of the king, the word of the king, the decree of the king. They would speak not of their own authority. They would speak not with their own message, but with the message and authority of the king. That's what a herald is, was. And so we see here that heralding, preaching, is necessary for people to be hearing, and hearing is necessary for there to be calling. The necessity of proclamation. And what we believe to be true is that all Christians are heralds. All Christians are messengers of the king. Not just paid staff and pastors. Everyone who has called on the name of the Lord is now a messenger of the Lord. Asking people to call on the name of the Lord. That's a big responsibility. One that we've often given to someone else to do. That's not my thing. That's not my gift. But understand this. This is the very nature of of being a follower of Jesus, of being a Christian. We are messengers of hope, messengers of good news. We have mouths for that very reason, to praise the Lord, to speak of His goodness, and to reveal to the world the very thing that has radically transformed our lives, Jesus. And so we must take responsibility for that in this place. Our hope 
is that people are calling on the name of Jesus for salvation. But our, 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 our other hope that supports that is that all those who know Jesus, all those who have called on him, are now proclaiming Jesus to the world. To this community, the, the 10,000 people that live within a mile of this physical building. Do you hear that? 10,000 people. The Lord has put us and placed us in the midst of a residential community. You say, why? Couldn't we be on a, on a nicer street or on a main drag? The Lord put us in the midst of a people that we might proclaim the gospel to a people. So that they might call on him for salvation. Proclamation is central to it. But we're not only speakers. We're not just those who proclaim the gospel. Our hope is built on that, but yet it is also understanding that we are a sent people. Right? How are they to preach, verse 15, unless they are sent? That gets at the, the sending uh, activity of God. God has chosen to save and redeem a people through sending a people. Right? He sent Jesus into the world to live a perfect, sinless life, to, uh, to uh, embark on a journey of perfection to the cross, of obedience to the cross. Where he died in our place for our sin, he rose again from the dead. He sent Jesus. His love for the world is manifest in his sending of his son. And then as his son goes to glory, he now what? Sends the Holy Spirit into the world to fill the church that he what? Sends into the world. Our God saves through sending. And we have to see ourselves not just as messengers, but as missionaries. We've been sent. That word for sent is where we get apostle. You've heard that word. Apostle. You say, well, I'm not an apostle. Well, you're right. Not capital A, apostle. Right? Those are the, the disciples plus Paul. But there still is an apostolic mission that we are engaged in, that God is still sending the church into the world, and we need to see ourselves as a sent people into these northern suburbs of Onondaga County, and specifically sent into this little neighborhood where so many people live. God has sent us. We've been placed here. I'll never forget a conversation I had with someone in this congregation where we were talking about just trying to rat, get each other all excited about what God's called us to do here in these northern suburbs and, and just and recognizing that we've been a placed people. And, and, and this person just said, How, what will it take for us to know and to submit to the reality that God is sovereignly placing his people where they are? What will it take for us to realize that we're not living on our streets on accident? 
That we don't work where we work on accident. That we don't have the last name, Maisie, on accident. That's my last name, not yours, except for Big Dave, right? Why Maisie? The Lord has sent me to the Maisie family. Why Syracuse? The Lord has sent us into Syracuse. Why Josephine and Chestnut? The Lord has sovereignly placed us here. It's not about this place. It's about placement. God placing his people, sending his people to be spokesmen in a place to bring the gospel of Jesus to it so they hear it and then respond to what they hear by saying, Jesus, help, save, come and rescue me from my sin. It's important to know that buildings don't save people, do they? You see, it would be easy for us to get excited about the paint and the carpet and the lights. And Believe you me, we're excited about it. It's wonderful to see what's happened here. And to be a, 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 possi- a possibility that we would say, oh, now we're going to reach people. Now God's going to move. Now God can save people because of this building. We don't want to overstate, don't want to understate what God has done and the energy and the generosity that people put in over the last six months. We don't want to understate it, but we don't want to overstate it. It is not God's primary instrument. People are. You've heard it often, you'll continue to hear it again, that whatever God is going to do in the world, he's going to primarily do through buildings. No. Through what? His people. People declaring a message of hope in the spirit of love and also with truth as its anchor to people who have never heard nor trusted in the name of Jesus. People. God uses his people, his sent people, his his spirit-empowered, word-proclaiming people. And this really is our mission here. Our mission is to glorify God. That's our greatest hope and greatest desire. We're not building a brand or an identity for ourselves. It's funny, I got a Facebook invitation to go to a ministry branding seminar. And I thought, why are they sending this to me? Do they think I need help? You know, like, the last thing the world needs is MikeMazie.com, you know? That's the last thing. I think my blog was dazed and confused, uh, or mazed and confused. You say I'm just confused. <laughs> mazed and confused. It's silliness. We're not building a brand. It's about God saving people in this community. We've been sent here. So that is our hope. Our hope in this place is that people would call on Jesus' name what in response to hearing Jesus' word through Jesus' people. Our hope is all about Jesus. His name, his word, his people. And I think it would be important for us 
to not put God in an expectation box. You know, over the next, over the last, you know, four, six months or whatever it's been, I can't remember, we've seen the Lord act in unimaginable ways, beyond our wildest expectations. I think about just the provision and the generosity and the support, and it's just unimaginable. And even as we think specifically about the 10,000 people that live within a mile of this place, and we think about Liverpool and Clay as we have a missional community there, small group, and in Baldwinsville and up in Cicero. So we think about the sovereign placement of his people, right, to, to, to proclaim the good news about Jesus so that people call. As we think about all those things, we don't want to, 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 to limit our hope to this place. God's doing something all over the world. And God would have us be praying about and thinking through other places and have a heart for other places. Not just this place, but, but other places. That again, what? The same thing. That people would call in the name of the Lord, right? As they respond to His word. That is spoken through his people. So let's be focused on the totality. The global mission. Even yet the local mission. Of what God has called us to do. Let's be people of hope. In this. In the greatest city in the world. Syracuse. Right? Can't find a better city than this. Let's be people of hope. Hope that is anchored in Jesus Christ, recognizing that his name is the way for salvation. So, Renovation Church, see yourselves as instrumental, not this building. See yourselves as instrumental to the reaching of people with the gospel of Jesus Christ through your lives through your words. See yourselves as the messengers and missionaries of Almighty God. And if you're here today and you're visiting, and you didn't know about Jesus, maybe you've been more along the religious track. Try harder. Do better. 51% of the time. Pull up your bootstraps kind of a thing. And just go at it one more round. And maybe this will be sufficient. If you're caught in that religious cycle of trying really hard to please God, don't miss this opportunity to hear the promise. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Call on His name. Cry out to Him for help. He promises to save those who do. Amen? This is our hope. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we declare and we rest in the fact that you alone are our hope. The name of Jesus, the word of Jesus, is what we place 
our trust. His work, His cross, His blood, His example. Jesus is our hope for our own lives and for the lives of every man, every woman, and every child that live proximate to this building here. We ask that you would save people through the proclamation of the gospel in the mouths of your very people that you have saved. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.